Hey everyone, welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and today we have Nicole Weaver on the show with us. And Nicole is a personal finance coach. Um, I almost said accidental personal finance coach. We'll talk about that in a minute. She's also a wife, mom, nurse, and a Jesus follower. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thanks for being on here with me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Accidental, sure. I mean, it wasn't what you started out planning to do with your life, right? No, totally fair. Yeah, that's definitely a fair statement. I uh, am a nurse by trade. I've been a nurse for 11 and a half years, which funny enough also wasn't what I initially wanted to be. And um, personal finance is something that I thought I was good at, then actually got good at, then got good sharing and just it became a passion. So yeah, no, that's great. I love it. It fits. You totally tagged that. No, yeah. no credit required for that one. So <laughs> So Nicole, um, I met you just a few days ago on online. I, I guess I should put that in air quotes. I met you, quote unquote, yeah. online a, a, a few days ago. And um, I'm just kind of fascinated with the whole process of what it must take to be a personal finance coach, because I don't even like, I'm not comfortable at all in that arena. You know, that's not my lingo. So how did you, like, what led you to that? So like I said, it was something that I've always loved numbers and spreadsheets. And so I, for the longest time, thought I was budgeting. I thought I was a good budgeter. Uh, Really, what I was good at was just listing out all of my bills, right? Um, I can do that. I can do that. Right? Yeah. And with dates, and I can even use an Excel spreadsheet and subtract it from my income, right? And then I got married, and we combined incomes and combined debts. And you just kind of got to a point where I was like, there's got, I have to do something different here to actually move the needle. And so I started learning more and more about how to really budget, how to really you know, budget is a four letter word in so many households. Let me just say, let me rephrase. I really learned how to plan out my money and plan out my cash flow. And in doing that over the course of a couple of years, my husband and I were able to pay off nearly $85,000 in debt. And it's crazy. And since then, so we've been officially debt-free for just over two years. We now have a six figure net worth. And all of that has just been due to managing our money. Well, it's, we didn't have some miraculous inheritance. We didn't, you know, I have started a business, but my business hasn't made $500,000 or anything that is just through us learning how to be smart with our money decisions um, and manage our cash flow Well, and so during that process, as I was, was, we were learning, um, I would share my story and my friends and family would be like, well, what are you doing? How are you doing that? And like, what could I do? And here's my situation and here's my interest rates. I'm like, what should I do? And so I've been coaching on personal finance for long before I was a personal finance coach. Um, and it's been something that's been on my heart for years. I, um, in 20, oh my gosh, what year is it? 19. I quit a corporate job and couldn't sit still. And I wanted to start a business, but I felt um, I felt so called to the the finance thing, but I was like, well, I'm a nurse. Like I'm not an accountant. Like what am I Those doing? Two things don't go together. They don't. Yeah. I mean, unless you count nursing school student loans. Cause that was like kind of what that, <laughs> caused the problem. that it all counts. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt so called, but I felt so unworthy and kind of felt like, you know, that imposter syndrome where you're like, I sh- you know, I'm not qualified. So I started doing other things and they all just didn't work because it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And when COVID hit and I just saw people's finances impacted so powerfully, I just knew like that was my moment. 
um, and God opened some amazing doors. I actually was gifted a $1,900 financial coaching training program. I didn't actually have to pay for it, which was such a God saying it was so just a door being opened and that was it. So May of last year, I officially started my business. So I've been coaching for long before I've been getting paid to coach, (laughs) but that's kind of how that evolved. It was something that I just had a passion for. And, um, you know, when you realize you have a passion for something and it helps people and you can get paid for it, you're like, oh, hey. So what does a personal finance coach do? Because I have a feeling it's not like you're not sitting over there managing my money for me, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, so I'm not a bookkeeper. I'm not going to track your cash for you. Um, my job is to help you understand how to manage your money. Um, and so I'm going to help you come up with values and priorities and goals around your money. So like, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, I'm, I've got some clients I've helped get out of a hole. So I have clients that like overdraft their checking account every single paycheck. And like, how do we get out of that hole? Right. Cause you can't save and, and pay off debt and build wealth if you're like still negative just to pay your bills. Right. So figuring out a plan to get out of those things, helping you figure out how to develop a budget or a cash flow plan, um, how to stick to it. Cause you can write it down all day long. Sure. <laughs> and so it's all about uh, mindset around money and it's all about behaviors around money. And then from there, I like to say I, my job is to work myself out of a job because I need to teach you how to understand your money decisions and how to make those decisions and kind of trust yourself with money and trust yourself to make those decisions. We were talking on Tuesday, uh, just kind of a, a, a little get to know you conversation between the two of us. And um, we talked about kind of who my listeners are and you kind of came right out of the gate saying that there are like biblical principles, mm-hmm. scripture that we can follow oh. that has an impact on our money. And it's not, um, I, it, and we kind of joked about this too, but the idea that um, Christians can't have money, right? Yes. We're not supposed to do that. And that's, I don't think that's ever written no. anywhere in the Bible. So nope. could you share some of your insight on that? Because uh, I know it's there. I just don't, I've never dove into that aspect of scripture really. What's there for us? Just as far as basic principles, there's things like there's a verse that says who, who would build a tower without first counting the cost. That's about planning ahead with your money, right? So it's a budget. There's a verse that says the borrower is slave to the lender. The rituals over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. And so don't borrow money. Um, there's even a verse that says, if you have borrowed money, you need to, it says, deliver yourself like the gazelle from the lion, like the bird from the hand of the feller. Literally, it says, you need to run for your freaking life if you have gotten into debt, right? It doesn't Those say- Those pretty it, big pictures. <laughs> right? It doesn't say like, if you got into debt, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. It just says, hey, listen, if you got yourself into this place, run, like <laughs> freaking run the other way. There's verses about uh, leaving an inheritance for your children's children. You cannot leave an inheritance if you don't have- something to leave, right? So there's verses about building wealth. There's verses about budgeting and planning ahead about living on less than you make. There's verses about, uh, it talks about uh, in House of the Wise, there are stores of choice food and oil. So it's this idea of saving up and having stores for things. There's verses about, I mean, I I could just go on and on. There's verses about uh, taking care of your household first before other things. And so nowhere in there does it say, do not make money do not profit off of other people, uh, do not build wealth. Like it's not there. Um, and so what people refer to, um, and I actually literally got like, I won't say attacked cause it's a very strong word, but 
had somebody kind of come after me for, uh, I did. I said, um, so we, we bought a house recently and we closed on our house about six weeks ago. And I was just so grateful to God for putting us in this situation and kind of bringing us to this place. And I made a post and I said, um, I'm so, you know, I'm so grateful. This is part of my inheritance that God has for me and we're stepping into it. And I'm so great. And literally they came after me and said that, how can I say that this is my inheritance when other people have nothing and they believe in God too? I'm like, okay, like there's so much, like there's so much to unpack there, but they basically attacked me for my position on having and building wealth and and having things that I can leave to my children and their children. And that the reason was, well, but other people don't have, um, and they, even this person even said, if my, I would be okay if my family went without, if it meant that other families were able to not be in poverty and whatever. And I was like, that's also not scriptural. Like this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, and so there's this thought. And then I think you and I had talked about the scripture about it's easier uh, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Um, and so that verse is taken so out of context. Um, they just say, oh, see, you can't be rich. If you're rich, you can't get into heaven. I'm like, there. Yeah. okay, <laughs> back up. Basically, a rich man came to Jesus and said, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? How can I be part of this? And he said, well, are you willing to go sell everything you own and follow me? And he was like, Ooh, about that. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe. And, tomorrow. Yeah. and he went away sad. Cause he, cause he wanted, who would rather have his wealth than the kingdom. And so ultimately that verse is about uh, your heart and your mindset. And like, for me, if, if God called me to give up everything, I would. I haven't been called to that. In fact, I've been called to actually make sure I have extra bedrooms because we might end up fostering kids, right? So there is a point at which, like, you don't have to live a life of poverty. Um, there's, you know, people that argue that Jesus was poor and therefore we should all be poor. I'm like, well, Jesus also, like, had long hair and never shaved his beard. Like, should we all do that too? Like, it's very, people try to... Um, and, and this is where I feel like it leads from is people try to explain in a, in a spiritual way as to why others have, and they don't. And that's where it comes from. So other wealthy people don't say anything about, don't say God didn't bring your wealth. Cause they get it. They see like, yes, this is all from God. Like everything I have is from him and, and I honor him with it. Right. And so, I don't know. I think there's definitely some mindset there that, um, and there's to be fair, there's the other swing of the prosperity gospel, which I believe is also a little too extreme. Right. But yeah, that's not really, um, I I've never really gotten on board with the whole claim it and it'll, you know, just happen type of thing. Um, cause I just don't think that's how it works. I had a thought in my mind when you were talking about, uh, you know, basically trying to explain away why some people who are believers don't have the same wealth and, or the same, um, earthly blessings, I mm-hmm. guess they would say. And uh, that's a, it's a hard topic to, to have, you know, we all have our own roads and our own, um, our own stories to, to tell and to share in, in a completely different way. I, I definitely don't think that it's like, there seems to be some people out there who have this mindset that um, God's just going to do it. He'll take care of it. And, and he, he will take care of you. He can provide anything and everything, but I fully believe that it's a partnership and that totally. God's not just going to be like, 
boom, here's here's a thousand dollars. Like you have you have done nothing, but here you go. Here you go. And right. now I want to clarify that because I don't believe in this spirit of you must work for everything. We serve a good God. He gives good gifts to his children. Sure. He blesses us. He takes care of us. Um, but I read a quote the other day that said, um, if you expect God to do the super, you've got to do the natural. And I was like, yes, I like that. So good. And I think the reality is there's always some sort of action that we are required to take or expected to take to, in order to get these things. Um, and I, I do, you know, I don't believe in just like, if you think about it, it will show up like that kind of manifestation. But I do believe that. And I read in scripture, he says, ask, ask, and you shall receive. And we, we kind of get to a point where we're like, am I really allowed to ask for that? Like, it feels selfish to be like, God, can I ask you for this? Um, but the way that my gauge for that is, which is very scripture based, even though there's not exact scripture for it. If what you desire, you would also wish for everyone else in the world, then you're not being selfish, right? If what you desire, you desire it and in the process, you hope no one else gets it but you. Okay, then you're being selfish, right? Yeah, that doesn't measure like, up, right? Yeah, it doesn't measure up, right, with your heart. But, um, you know, I, I had one day where I was asking for something from the Lord, and I just felt like I wasn't allowed to ask. Like, I had to just be like, okay, God, whatever you want, like, whatever you want. And he was like, look it up. What is my, what does my word say about asking me? And there are literally three dozen different verses that say, you do not have because you do not ask. Or they say, ask and you shall receive. Ask and keep asking. I mean, all of this says he wants us to ask for things, but in that process of asking, he's likely going to have us do something. So a really crude example, and this was the thing for me, was we really wanted a baby. Um, guys, there's something you have to do for that. <laughs> just no way. No way. Like, you can't just be like, God, please give me a baby. And then like sleep right. in different rooms. <laughs> It just doesn't, it doesn't work. work that way, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely things to do. Um, and that's not to say that people who are, are living in poverty aren't doing things. Um, there's definitely some systematic things that, that need to be broken off that kind of incentivize that life of poverty that um, politically, we don't have to go into politics, but I'd love to see some of that broken off for sure. And I'm not, I don't want to discount that, that there's definitely some systemic things that need to be dealt with. But um, there's also people who just like, they do what's easy, which is get a credit card and finance things. I mean, we, in the height of our debt world, we financed a mattress. <laughs> it was like a $2,000 mattress. I was like, you what know. are you doing? <laughs> just at the time, right. At the time it's, yeah, it's important. And, and it you're just trying important. to. It does. It, that's right. It does. And it's all about prioritizing. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about today was prioritizing this, these tithes. And we talked a little bit about that on Tuesday, just because I, I was curious of your take on it. Um, you know, there are people who, some people who think that tithes are obsolete. We don't have to do those anymore. There are some people who, um, who kind of live by the book, right? That this is very legalistic. This is what my tithe is and this is where it has to go. And, and if I don't do this, then I'm not doing my part. You, you've looked into this, you've studied a little bit more. What is it, what does it say about tithing and, and what does it mean for us practically today? So uh, if you want to get technical, technically um, a tithe is 10%. So anybody who tells you their tithe is 
5% or their tithe is 30%. It's not true. A tithe yes. specifically is 10%. Now you can obviously give more or less totally up to you, but if you are a true tithe is 10% and it's 10% of your first fruit. So it's 10% off the top. Um, and therefore it's 10% of your gross income. Now it's, Again, it's not legalistic. I'm just looking at the definition here. Okay. So never anywhere in the Bible does it say, and if you don't tithe, you're going to hell. Okay. So there's also a point at which it's very personal of just having a conversation, um, allowing God to give you the grace to work through that process. So when we first got married, I was a tither and he was not, he did not like the idea of giving to a church. He had seen churches buy their pastor's helicopters and, and that kind of stuff that, um, really turned him off to that idea. Um, but over time, not only did we find ourselves in a wonderful church community where we trusted the church and what they were doing with our tithes, um, many churches, including ours, they tithe off their tithes. So of the you know money they bring in, 10 plus percent of it goes out to other organizations and charities. Um, so finding a place that you trust what they're doing with it helps. That was the first thing. Second thing was just studying what else he says about the tithe. What else does his word say about the tithe? Not just it's 10%. One is it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse into my house so that my people may be taken care of. That's one. And the second thing he says is bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't reap down blessings on you and open heaven. And one thing I've learned in my years of being a believer is that his promises are so true. Even if you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah. For example, on the other side too, there's one where he says, if you're just going to keep doing what I keep telling you not to do, that's fine. I'll just let you get whatever you're going to get from it. Yep. The desires of your heart. Yep. Sure. All right. Do whatever you want. And he does too. And you reap consequences of those things. So it's the same thing in the positive when he says, do this and see if I don't completely open heaven and reap down blessings on you. So when we, when my husband finally got on board where he was just like, yes, I feel like it's right. Let's do it. I was like, good, let's go. <laughs> let's go. So we started tithing and, and I want just to make note there that I honored my husband in that he wasn't comfortable with it. We went with what he was comfortable with until he was. Um, and I felt grace to do that. I appreciate you adding that in. Yeah. I, I, I can talk to you about that in a little bit, but yeah, I appreciate yeah. that you put that in there. Yeah. I think it's important. And so and then we started getting what we call mailbox money. <laughs> so mailbox money is money that shows up that wasn't expected, that you were like, whoa, where'd this come from? Or how did this happen? Or it's just those moments when you go, this had to be God. Like it had to be God. Um, and so we literally doubled what we were giving our um, more than that because we were giving to a missionary that was like our tithe at the time. And then we kept doing that and then added in an actual tithe. So we were doing quite a bit more than we had been doing before. And yet all our bills were paid. We still had the life we wanted. We, and then we started getting mailbox money. And so that was, again, that proof of his promise of saying like, if you honor me with your money, I will bless you and I will take care of you. And so I would challenge anybody who's um, still struggling with the idea of a tithe. First, um, yes, the idea is for it to go to the local church because that's his house, right? That's where his people get taken care of. Um, however, if you can find an organization in the same vein that takes care of your community of believers, that is the idea of the tithe, um, and find a community, uh, an organization you feel comfortable giving that money to pray about it and don't be super legalistic about it. Just 
make sure that between you and God that you're honoring what he's doing. So it's the first thing. The second thing is I would challenge you to like, he literally the scripture says, test me in this. And I would challenge you to do that and just give it a commit to 30, 60, 90 days of giving the full tithe and trusting, trusting that it's the right thing to do and just see what happens. Count your mailbox money because it comes. And, and I think there's, there's always grace to do what feels right and to do what feels good between you and God um, until you get to that point where you're open to just literally whatever he asks you to do. Like I literally had on my heart this morning um, that we're my, it's my husband's birthday next week. And we're going to take like a few hundred dollars and just leave it all for the, for the waiter. And that's the kind of stuff you get to do when you have money. When you have a little extra there. Yeah. That's, yes. And that's why, like, again, with building wealth, you get to bless others too. That's an, that's the exciting part. I think that, um, you know, you, you hear about people who have an extreme amount of wealth, like exorbitant amount of wealth, who do a lot for their, you know, for other people, for waiters and waitresses or for complete, you know, organizations or whatever. And I just recently read, like, I shouldn't say just recently anymore, but um, it was uh, some, Living a Generous Life, I think, by, I'm going to mess up his name, Steve Green, maybe the owner of Hobby Lobby. Okay. And he goes through this whole thing. And basically his whole premise is um, leaving, leading a generous life now will allow you to leave an inheritance for your children. And that inheritance is sometimes financial, sometimes it's the business or whatever, but it's also an inheritance of how to live yes. a generous life. Totally. And I, uh, you, you're a mom. Yeah. How do you model it? I mean, how old is your kiddo? He's so she's only, eight, she's only 18 months right now. She's little. Um, but definitely agree. That is something I want. I don't ever, ever, ever want her to be tight fisted with her money. And I know this is a podcast and so people can't see physically what I'm doing, but when you think about generosity and you think about the idea of being closed fisted or open fisted, if you put your hand out with your palm up and it's open, then not only could somebody take what you have, and you're kind of like, oh, no, don't take it. But also people can give you more. Whereas if you have your hand in a fist in the same position, correct, nobody can take what you have in your hand. But also if someone tries to give you more, you can't hold on to it because your hands are closed. And so this idea of living open-handed and being like, okay, like it's fine to share, but also it allows you to receive more too. And it, and I want, I never want my daughter to live tight fisted. I always want her to be open to sharing. Um, I always want her to be, uh, just outrageously generous where people are like, why would you do that? Like, I want people to be like, what, why would you do that? Like, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. That's very, do you have any, um, tips for those of us who are, I, I shared earlier, my daughter's just turned 13. I have another one who's about to be 16 any tips on how to put that in and other than modeling it in our lives, how to prepare them for adulthood now yeah. that they're in their teens? So, Sorry, I threw that one on you. I didn't prepare no, I you love for that it. question. No, no, I, love it. It anyway. I love it. Um, girl, I could talk about money for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so there's three things that anyone can do with money. One of them is to spend it obviously one of them is to I'm good at that one (laughs) (laughs) one of them is to save it and one of them is to give it so either you're spending it you are um, saving it for the future or you're giving it away those are the three major things you can do everyone should always do all three 
You should always do all three, some sort of measure of all three things that you can do, whether that's with your regular money or if you get extra money, so you get a big bonus, you can do all three things with the extra money you have. So starting to teach your kids, especially when they get, maybe it's money for chores or maybe they get, they start having a job. Your daughter's 13. So in a couple of years, she's going to be able to get a job. Um, that every time they get a paycheck or bring in some money, they should separate that money into three envelopes, jars, piles. I don't care how you do it. Doesn't matter. But separate it into a give pile, a save pile, and a spend pile. And if you get them into that habit of always allocating every time they get money, they split it, then it becomes normal, right? It's not like, oh, every now and then we're generous and we give a big tip. Every now and then, or we give this to the church. It's like every dollar we have, we give some of it. Every time we get money, we give some of it. Um, And it can be if they get $4, they put a dollar in, give a dollar and save and $2 and spend and they get to go get a toy, right? It doesn't matter exactly the percentage. You can decide that or let them decide that. But having that practice of saying there's three things we can do. So when you get in money, let's split it up into those three things so that whenever it comes time to give, you've got plenty of money there available to give. It becomes habit and routine and normal to give a portion of what you have. I like that a lot. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell me, and I will link all of this, but tell the listeners where they can find you. How can they connect with you? Um, if they are in need of their own personal finance coach. Yeah. So the easiest way is my website, which is just www.nicoleweaver.com. My name is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-E-W-E-A-V-E-R. I say that because Nicole Weaver without an H is also a financial advisor. <laughs> Interestingly enough, go figure. I know. Uh, So, Nicole Weaver with an H um, on my website, you can um, schedule a free consult right from my website, or you can just submit a little email to me um, and let me know that you heard of me on the wrong kind of Christian podcast. And um, I will definitely get you hooked up. I also am on Facebook. You can find me, Nicole Weaver, um, just my profile. You can find my business page. And also, I have a group called Your Money Journey with Nicole Weaver. Um, where we just do tips and tricks and um, advice and fun. And we talk all things money. So all those places. Awesome. And I will link those for you guys in the show notes. And thank you again, Nicole. We really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your insight on the scriptural basis for some of that, all that money stuff that caused some anxiety. So biggest thing is just to know there's grace. Yeah, there's grace. There's so much grace for it. And, you know, you get to, you get to feel into what works and what feels right for you um, and your family and, and then go with it. Perfect. Thank you, Nicole. And for my listeners, I will talk to you next week. Bye.